mentioned a few moments ago that maybe one of the reasons that most of the people from the Bible Methodist Church are here is because their pastor's sick, but that's not really it. There is another reason, and um, we have been trying to, to make this happen for a while, and uh, tonight's the night. Uh, I thought about how to kind of go about this, and I wondered about having all of the family that was here to just kind of come and spread out across the front, but it looks like we would be having you spread like all around the sanctuary if we did that, because there's a lot of, of Hembry family here, an extended uh, Hembry family. So we are so glad that all of you are here. Um, I'm, I'm just going to ask Sister Hembry, if you would please, to come down front and uh, you want somebody to come with you? How about this? Why don't we, why don't we have your immediate children, uh, Elizabeth and Kenny and Barbara and Sharon and Janelle? And uh, that's not to leave anybody out because you're all important. Uh, but uh, uh, just, just so we don't uh, you know, overwhelm the, the capacity that we have here. The Church of the Nazarene has various forms of raising funds for uh, Nazarene Missions International, and one of those uh, means is the memorial roll, and uh, we pay an offering for that uh, certificate, and uh, then individuals that we love and that have been important to us um, are placed uh, officially on the memorial roll, and uh, the funds, I think I'm remembering right, I know Sister Sheila will help me if I forget, the funds that are raised by this are uh, to provide health care uh, for missionaries, and uh, thank you, I appreciate that, I try to keep all these things straight, but this is uh, in memory and honor of Brother Kenneth, and uh, if you've been around the Church of the Nazarene, you've heard this numbers of times, uh, but it's always special, and uh, especially depending on the person. And with Brother Kenneth or, or Grandpa Hembry, our, our family, we've known him as both. The certificate says, if to die is to see with clear vision all mysteries revealed, and away is swept the curtain from joys which are now concealed, if to die is to greet all the martyrs and prophets and sages of old, and to joyously meet by still waters the flock of our own little fold, if to die is to join in hosannas to a risen reigning Lord, and to feast with him at his table on the bread and wine of his board, if to die is to enter a city and be hailed as a child of its king, O grave, where soundeth thy triumph, O death, where hideth thy sting. This certificate is presented in memory of Kenneth Cecil Hembry, whose name has been placed on the memorial roll, Nazarene Missions International. We love you all. You're an important part of this church and of our family, and uh, we so appreciate and love Brother Kenneth. So glad you all could be here and be a part of this. Anybody want to say anything, make any remarks? I know this is very, very impromptu, and I'm sure you're all prepared with a long speech, but... You'll pass? Okay. Thank you so much. I want to talk to you some more eventually 
about the beauty of holiness, but as I was thinking, uh, knowing, knowing that you all were going to be here, the Hembry family, and that we were going to be honoring the memory of Brother Kenneth, and also thinking about um, Isaiah, the young man that uh, passed away yesterday, and numbers of others that, that we could think about that we've lost recently. Um, I kind of was feeling like going in a different direction, and I started thinking along these lines of the, of the storybook ending. You know, stories have their appeal to us in many, for, for a lot of different reasons. I like to read stories or listen to stories just simply to engage my, my brain and my imagination. And uh, I like uh, the tension of, of mystery and wondering what's going to happen next. And then the, the relief and the resolve when everything works out and it's all good. Uh, but really, stories, I think, one of the reasons they have their appeal is because of the storybook ending, the, what we might call the fairy tale ending. Any good story has a protagonist, a hero, or a good guy, and then there is the bad guy or the antagonist, and there is sometimes romance, and there's always conflict. I have been familiar with some stories where the bad guy wins, and those are never really satisfying. Nobody wants the bad guy to win. Everybody wants to see the good guy win. And all the best stories have that classic storybook ending. You know, you can think of the, the fairy tales that you heard or may have read growing up, Cinderella or Snow White or whatever, all of those stories, where the good guy wins in the conflict and the bad guy gets justice and the story ends with the fulfillment of all of the romantic hopes and dreams of they lived happily ever after, right? Isn't that what we all want? And they lived happily ever after. One of the reasons these stories appeal to us, I believe, is that we live in a world that so often deprives us of storybook endings. We live in a, in a world that is broken and where dreams are often unfulfilled, expectations are unfulfilled, and at times they are shattered and leave us broken and hurting and grieving. There is plenty of conflict and more than enough bad guys to go around. And if every once in a while good triumphs over wrong, the celebration is temporary at best. Um, I know that most all of us probably celebrated a few weeks ago or a week or so back when uh, Roe was overturned and, and uh, we saw this, what we've seen as a culture of death in our country, hopefully going in a better direction. But we all have also seen how shortly after that, it didn't really solve too many problems. It actually created just some new problems and new questions that need to be dealt with and answered. I hope, I hope you're hearing me the right way. I, I, I'm grateful for what happened. I'm grateful for that decision. But since that has happened, there's just been a multiplication of controversy over those, over those issues and, and more 
questions than answers. So the celebration is temporary, it's short-lived. Um, I want to take you this evening to Revelation chapter 19. And uh, if you were around our church a little over a year ago, you know that we, we worked our way through the entire book of Revelations. I'm not going to do that tonight. This is just one message from a long sermon series on the book of Revelation, looking at Revelation chapter 19. A storybook ending revolves around celebration. The atmosphere and tone is one of celebration. The words are words of celebration. And this passage introduces us to the beginning of the end of time and the beginning of eternity. And it is a scene of wonderful celebration. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that we have something more to live for than just the here and now. But we have the anticipation of a wonderful future, a bright eternity with you. Lord, we pray that you will help us as we consider these words, uh, that our hearts will be encouraged, that our sights will be lifted beyond the temporary nature of this world, and that we will commit ourselves now more than ever to live for eternal things, for eternal truths. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do and for the way you help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, the tone of this passage is one of celebration. The words are words of celebration. One word that is repeated over and over again is this word, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. This word repeats itself about four or five times in this passage and provides the theme of the worship. And the worship is loud. 
I'm going to say a little more about this a little later, but I like loud, engaging worship. And uh, it's something that will happen when we have that final experience, that time of experience around the throne of God. It will be one of worship, and it will be loud. It will be overwhelming. Now, there are two parts to the celebration uh, that we read about here in Revelation 19. First is the celebration of justice. The celebration of justice. One historian who is writing about justice uh, in the, the days of the American frontier and the Old West uh, talked about vigilante justice that often took place. And uh, he wrote this, he said, vigilantism was often carried out by citizens who were moderate and orderly in their application of force. But he notes also that the danger of mob rule was also present. He said, just ask the poor fellow whose grave on Boot Hill Cemetery in Arizona bears the epitaph lynched by mistake. What is seen as justice and what is longed for as justice is not something we see very often in this life, in this world. Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray once informed a man who had appeared before him in a lower court but had escaped conviction on a technicality, uh, said this to this man. He said, I know that you are guilty and you know that you are guilty. And I want you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there you will be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. We all understand, I think, that we live in a society, we live in a country where being dealt with, being treated according to law, does not necessarily always conform to what is really actually justice. It's not the person uh, receiving what uh, they ought to receive. And it's difficult to celebrate justice in this world because there doesn't seem to be much of it. I mentioned this morning in talking about the young man from Pinview who lost his life yesterday. It leaves us with more questions than answers. And though I believe God and I trust God, I still want to come to God and I think it's okay for us to do this and say, God, this doesn't make sense. Why would you allow something like this to happen? How could you allow something like this to happen? Most all of us remember uh, Paul Stetler who was here and spoke to us, uh, I don't know, a year or so back in revival and, and uh, the tragic loss of his wife and hearing him and hearing his dad talk about asking some of those same questions. And uh, life doesn't make sense so often. In fact, Humanity has been wrestling with these questions and these problems for hundreds, for thousands of years. You can go back to the Psalms and read in uh, the Psalms the, the writer who questions, why do uh, the wicked so often flourish and prosper and the righteous uh, suffer and have problems? But one day, friends, there will be a celebration of justice. It will mean that good wins, good triumphs over evil. Look at the beginning part of Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse 1. The song that is sung is, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. 
Salvation, glory, power belongs to our God. This is a repetition of something that uh, we see a number of times. We see it twice in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, and then we see it again in chapter 12. But it is a celebration of God's power and glory and the fact that God, through his power and the salvation that he provides, it means good will triumph over evil. This also means deliverance for God's people. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Everyone who has been lost uh, to the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of Satan, uh, will one day be avenged. And it will be a, a right and a proper justice, a deliverance of God's people. It is a deliverance and a justice that is provided by God's power, and it is intended to bring God glory. For God's glory, good wins. While we live in a world that so often good seems to be the underdog and evil triumphs over good, I am thankful for a God and for a, a word from God that reminds me that that will not always be the case. We are working towards a, a, a climax of history where good will triumph over evil. This also means, friends, that evil is punished. Evil is punished. I mentioned already to you the words from verse 2 that says, His judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. I remember hearing uh, about a, uh, was a preacher friend of mine who was telling about a time, he said he was driving late at night, and uh, to keep himself awake, he was listening to some radio call-in uh, talk show, and uh, on this talk show, the guest was some uh, atheist that uh, was talking about why there is no God and why we shouldn't believe in God. And people were calling in with their questions. And, and uh, you know, every once in a while, there would be someone who would call in and say, well, you know, I kind of like to think that there's a, a man upstairs somewhere, somebody watching out for us. And, and those hosts were kind of, you know, congenial with people like that and kind of saying, oh, you know, hey, man, if that's what you need to help you sleep at night and to help you navigate life, then that's all right for you. But uh, really, for the people who are more, uh, you know, more educated and, and, and literate and smart enough to stand on their own two feet, we realize, you know, we really don't need God. But there was one person who called in to that talk show who had a little bit more understanding and a little bit more intelligence than the rest of the people. And this person said, I have to believe that there is a God, because if there is no God, then that means that there will never be any justice in this world. And there is something about human nature, there is something about you and I that we know instinctively what it is to be wronged. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, had a, a crime committed against you if somebody has, has robbed you or stolen from you or whatever. But you know what that feels like when you, that just that sense of indignation and just, oh, how, I, you know, I can't believe that happened to me. Um, we all know what that's like, and we have an instinctive desire for, for justice to be served. And this tells us in this passage that the guilty are judged, the guilty are judged accurately 
they are judged accurately. Verse 2 of Revelation 19 says his judgments are true and just. They are true and just. True means that God is being faithful to his covenant promises. He's being faithful to his covenant promises. And uh, just is simply an outgrowth of God's holy character. That when God finally judges this world, that it will be an accurate judgment, a true judgment. And also, we read here that there is no sequel, there is no second chance. Verse 3, once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. I do feel the need at this point to, to mention that this is not a celebration of vengeance. I remember studying and reading over this passage and you hear these heavenly choirs sing and celebrating God's justice and God's judgment and saying, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And it sounds like a celebration almost of, of vengeance. Yes, finally the bad guys are getting what they deserve, but it is rather it is not that, it is rather a celebration of a God who is keeping his covenant promises and setting right all the wrongs in the world that ever have been. He is turning injustice on its head and setting everything right. This is a celebration of justice, but also, friends, this is a celebration of new beginnings, a celebration of new beginnings. The inaugural event of the eternity, uh, the noise I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, is already loud. It begins loud. As John is writing here in chapter 19 and verse 1, he says, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. And then we come to verse 6, and he continues to describe what he is hearing, and, and uh, the noise is growing, it's getting louder, and he says, now it's the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Thinking about this reminds me of the days two or three years ago when I was traveling in the college choir with God's Bible School. It was more than two or three years ago, but that's kind of what it feels like, you know, what that's like. I'm getting to that point now where I see college-age kids and I think, yeah, I'm still in that age group. That's still my generation. And then I realize, no, wait a minute, these kids are... 20 years younger than I am, or more. But I remember at times traveling with the choir, and you have, you know, 50 or 60 kids, or however many, and then a small uh, orchestra with horns and some violins and maybe some percussion. And every once in a while, a lot of times you'd go to bigger buildings, bigger auditoriums. But every once in a while, we'd be called, you'd be called to some little bitty church in Podunk Corner where you couldn't hardly fit everybody on the platform. I remember one or two places where we'd set the risers up on the platform and your head would be kind of brushing against the ceiling up there. And uh, in those kinds of settings, people almost always would complain about being too loud. And in that kind of setting, there's not much you can do about it being too loud. You got that many people, that many voices, and that many instruments. It's going to be loud. 
But as I mentioned a few moments ago, I kind of like loud. Um, you know what it's like when you're trying to talk to somebody who doesn't understand you? They're, they're, they're not an English speaker or, or whatever your language, your first language happens to be. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's, it's probably just Americans, really. But um, something about us that, you know, you're talking to somebody that doesn't understand you and... So what do you do? Well, you talk a little bit louder, and then you try to pronounce your, your words very distinctly. And you think if you do this, it will help them understand you. It, they're not going to understand you. They don't speak your language. That seems to be... I, I've noticed this in worship. I've played uh, at different times in uh, different settings than this where the music is a little different and uh, play my play my bass guitar with some others and uh, the worship gets engaging and the people when when the audience is engaged in worship there is something that feeds the the both the audience and the ones who are who are ministering and who are singing and you just it begins to pull it out of you. I remember singing for Brother Wolf in college choir. He was a wonderful choir director and he was one of those guys that just knew how to pull it out of you. And uh, you would just put everything you had into it. You're all you're already trying to do it right and and get the right notes, but then you just get to where you're putting every bit of energy you have. You get louder and louder. One songwriter said it this way. He said, not enough notes in the music, not enough words in the lyric. At the end of every song, we stand in awe. He's indescribable, and it's not possible. We sing one thing, but we can't tell it all. And no matter what we do to try to express our worship and our praise to God, there's no way that we can express it good enough. So sometimes it's just maybe to get louder. Not like this. This sounds like a Presbyterian church. John said, I heard a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Let's look at this for just a moment, the marriage supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the bride. It says, she has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. This reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 27, where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and present her to himself in splendor. A glorious church, a beautiful church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The bride is ready, and it says she is clothed in fine linen. This is the righteousness of the saints. It says it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. That word granted, granted her, it's an indication of God's involvement in the work of redemption. 
the fine linen, the righteousness of the saints is not about our goodness. It's not about our good deeds. It's not about, a, uh, about our efforts to produce within ourselves a holy life. But it is about a lamb who was slain and gave himself for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be redeemed and have our robes washed white in his blood. John writes about this in Revelation chapter 7. In verse 14, I said to him, sir, you know, he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Friends, Christ has purchased his followers with his blood and purified us with his own blood. Then it is through his power and through his blood that we live pure lives and keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Then we see not only the bride, but we see the invited guests. The invited guests. This is interesting, but I would point out to you that these are the same people. Uh, We have here verse 7. They're the saints there are referred to as the bride. Here, a little bit later on, they are the invited guest. Um, Verse 9. The angel said to me, write this. Now, if you... Uh, have studied the book of Revelation, you know that at certain key points throughout the book, John is given this specific instruction to write. Write this down. And it occurs all throughout. And here's one of those places uh, where John is commanded to write. And this is the fourth of seven Beatitudes. Um, Again, Revelation is such an interesting book uh, to study. It's full of full of sevens, and there are seven bowls and seven trumpets and, and uh, seven beatitudes, seven blessings. This is the fourth of seven uh, of those beatitudes. The angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. In verse 7, I mentioned they are the saints, or the saints are the bride. Here they are the invited guest, the kaleo. They are blessed, and that means just happy. It's an exclamation of, wow, how happy they are, how blessed they are. And it is, uh, we don't, not going to take the time to talk about everything that happy means here, or blessed means here. Uh, but it's, it's much more full than what we mean when we say happy. It is, uh, it is a complete uh, sense of wellness and wholeness and completeness. And everything has been set right with the world. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they are the kaleo. They are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. And then this uh, section, the words of the angel, conclude here with this statement. These are the true words of God. These are the true words of God. This, this phrase is the same phrase that we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul says, This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Same, same idea. These are the true words of God. It is emphasizing a particularly important and crucial truth. And friends, for us, as we think about 
the ones that we, that we celebrate and we honor their memory. We grieve over those that we have recently lost. This is simply a reminder that we must not miss out on the inaugural event of the new beginning. It will be a celebration of justice and a celebration of a new world, a new life, new beginnings. And it calls to us, it calls us to careful preparation, to be prepared, to be ready. And the reality is, this is something I'm, I'm aware that all of you know. I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. The reality is that none of us knows when our time will be, when our time on this earth is cut short and there's no more opportunity to get ready. Our challenge is to stay ready, to be ready so that we don't have to get ready. And friends, whatever the cost, whatever the price, I for one intend to be there. I do not want to miss it. The songwriter wrote these words I'm sure you've heard before. Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. Friends, one day it will be reality for us. I have a a friend who is a preacher, and I remember hearing him tell about his grandmother who had been a faithful saint of God, and, and uh, she had supported my friend in his ministry and prayed for him. He said he was away preaching, I believe, in a revival meeting when he got word that she was at death's door, and uh, he left to try to go and make it back to her uh, side before she passed away. And... Uh, she was declining all throughout the day, and uh, as, as her, they watched her vital signs, her blood pressure get lower and lower, and she was laying in bed, and the family said that at, at one point she just lifted her hands in the air and began to say, Jesus, lift me up. Lift me up, Jesus. And at a certain point, she began to revive a little bit, and she lifted her head and began to sing in a weak and quavering voice these words, There waits for me a glad tomorrow, where gates of pearl swing open wide, and when I've passed this veil of sorrow, I'll dwell upon the other side. Someday beyond the reach of mortal men, someday God only knows just where and when the wheels of mortal life shall all stand still, and I shall go to dwell on Zion's hill. It wasn't very long after that when she said, oh, goody, goody, and she put her head back on her pillow and died just like that. Friends, the day will come when all of the wrongs will be put to right. And we will begin a wonderful celebration, a celebration of God's justice and a celebration of new beginnings. And uh, days like this, when I think about the young man that we just lost, when I think about other friends, others that have gone before us, other tragedies that have happened, and my heart hurts for that, I am reminded of this, and it makes me just a little bit more homesick for heaven, just a little bit more homesick for that day when God will make everything right. Amen. Let's stand together, please.